Yeah. I want to tell you about a book because um, I think you'll like it. Uh, it's uh, called Written in Dead Wax. Right. And it's by an author called Andrew Cartmel. Um, and it, it's not a new book. Uh, I, it, I've had it for a couple of years now, and he's got a whole series of these uh, called The Vinyl Detective. Uh, but it's really good. It's about a guy who uh, tries to find old vinyl records. Mm-hmm. And in the first one, uh, gets mixed up with the, the hunt for an old vinyl record uh, that uh, other people are trying to find as well with deadly consequences uh, but it's good really good uh, series of books so I'd, I'd heartily heartily recommend them that reminds me somewhat it's probably completely different but it reminds me somewhat of the Biderbeck affair have you seen that i need to i need to to, to yeah to pay attention to this because you've mentioned this before and i haven't gone mm. off and found it but i need to i've just lost my bloody vape now again <laughs> You yeah, it's a. <laughs> there's three series. Um, one's like I think I, it's the Biderbeck affair, the Biderbeck something, the Biderbeck. There's three I of them. Did find? Are they on Britbox or something? I think they're on Britbox. Probably. All right, we have a look. You got the it's the Biderbeck trilogy. So yes. you've got the Biderbeck affair, the Biderbeck tapes, and then something else. The Biderbeck something else, and it's about. Um, a, a bunch of tapes. I can't. I can't remember it very well, but I just remember it being amazing. Um, and being just really, really good and loving it. Um, so there's three seasons. I'm trying to find where it is because it, it's it's worth a watch if you haven't seen it. Anyway, it's been a long time since I watched it, but. It's got James Bowlerman mm. and Dudley Sutton, who you won't know, but when you see his face, you'll go, oh, that guy. Yeah, I know him. Hold on. Google. Dudley <laughs> Sutton. <laughs> He's in a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, I know him. Yeah, you see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, Tinker. He is. That's right. Yeah, That's right. Tinker. In, so, um, what's well, it? Welcome to Murdering a Podcast. Um, there's a few things you know. Go and go and hunt those out if you're after a new book or a series mm. or two to watch. Really, really um, good series. Today, well, last love week Joy. I wanted to <laughs> love Joy is actually is another Joy. good series. It's in Love yeah. Joy, oh, um, got, oh, which is amazing. brilliant if you haven't seen it. Um, mm. uh, last week I wanted us to talk about audiences, and we failed miserably in doing that because we went yeah. down a rabbit hole. Sometimes those rabbit holes are interesting to to go down. However, uh, I think we're going to try and do that after these titles. Welcome to Murdering a Podcast, two writers' journey to produce a narrative murder mystery. So, um, okay, audiences. The the reason I wanted to talk about this was because uh, there was a conversation about uh, audiences uh, in connection with the Sandman, which we talked about last week. And, um, and then we got distracted because we, we were talking about an, um, Sandman. <laughs> yes. And uh, the, the the thing I wanted to, to, to sort of talk about, it was usually when you're a writer, you're, you're writing, we often you write for you, don't you? Because we, mm. we sort of had this conversation a bit before. But 
at some point you need to start writing for people um and in your in the early days especially if you're doing this commercially the people that you're writing for are not the the readers as such but they will be the commissioners or they'll be the editors or they'll be you know whoever it is that you have to sell your thing to is you'll make decisions based on that if you if you want to write for a particular magazine and you know their house style says we like alien stuff but we don't like zombies that's what you write because mm. otherwise you know you're not going to get into that particular magazine <laughs> yeah you don't try and get it get around it that way but nowadays we've got an awful lot more information about getting your stuff out to an audience firsthand yeah how do you do that and what do you need to know about doing that we've also got an awful lot more information about people and the way that people work and both of us have read a book like, tash is just about to finish a book mm. um called alchemy yeah. Uh, by a guy called Rory Sutherland, uh, which is all about behavioural economics, so the reason mm. why people buy stuff. And all of this feeds into um, uh, audience retention, audience interaction, and things like that. So if you want to do this from scratch, like, like, like we are, we need to kind of pay attention to what our audience says what our buyers say let's call it mm. call it that because if they if they don't buy it for whatever reason then we've produced a thing that is that is pointless yeah um so what i really wanted to sort of think about was how do you do that how do you do that really without compromising what you wanted to do in the first place Mm. <laughs> that's a big sigh it is i mean i just wanted to add something that you said earlier as well we don't just have the information on being able to to we also have now got the means to self-publish to self-produce yeah. to um get our content out into the world with things like youtube or, or or twitch and things like that um where you can put like movies on and and you know places like prime will often take on sort of the the smaller movies the 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 indie movies they'll usually well, I, be I, somewhere but i'm pretty there. sure you can actually list your movie on amazon prime if mm. you know how to do it yeah which is again that's a big thing if you've made a a thing and you want to make money from it amazon prime is a marketplace which a lot of people have access to even though i know yeah. a lot of people don't like it it's, you know the people who have access to it are far greater in number so getting on a platform like that would be amazing for 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 many films where you, you know your local attempts let's call them to to publicize your film uh are helped by the fact that you can say yes you just go to amazon and type this in because it's something that everybody understands yeah um, i'd say i mean in terms of sort of how you sort of look at your audience i go off um well what the, the advice that i was given is read read a lot watch a lot of movies um which is great when you're a writer because you can be watching a movie and people are like you need to be working i am it's research yeah, yeah. but watch as a writer not as an audience member mm -hmm. um so reading as a reader versus reading as a writer are just a very two different experiences because as a writer you're analyzing the book you're you're enjoying it as a as a as a reader or as an audience member but at the same time you're sort of looking at the structure you're looking at what they did well and we spoke briefly about this in, in well not briefly in depth about this with with things like um day shift and things like that where 
you know they've clearly got great structure in the in the in the story but again it's it's you look at um what's out and what's already popular um one mm. of the things i like doing and but then also experiment as well a little bit so you get that, that is when you start doing any sort of form of art you copy the stuff that you like i think um i think john cleese said that as well in his autobiography yeah he might he might be right actually uh but at some point you have to diverge and you have to do stuff that is your own and um when when you're saying you know look at the stuff that's popular one of the big mistakes i think that especially corporate creativity makes is trying to just literally copy what has gone yeah. before and go oh, and now and now we'll we'll you know we want to make this sort of film so we'll make this sort of film but we'll put that badge on it and therefore everybody who liked that badge is going to like it and it, and that just doesn't work it really yeah. doesn't work and there's there's myriad um research into into that as well uh, about audiences and about tribes and about how tribes even though they would gravitate towards something uh with an apple badge it doesn't necessarily mean that every apple product is going to uh, attract that same group of people for example yeah. apple tv which isn't really spoken about at all it's a you know a, a, a viable product for apple but it's not a major selling point for them mm. at all because there's nobody who sort of talks about it beyond the odd people who picked it up in the first place it's more likely uh for a streaming service thing because uh, again of brand recognition that people would say the name roku than apple tv so i i would say start out when you first learn to write honing your skills by because what i did i used to hello you love timing, don't you? You have beautiful. <laughs> you did this exactly the same thing. Come on. Yes, I know. I don't know if you What's can hear. What's Tash is playing with her pussy? Here we playing go. with her dripping pussy. Is that what? It was? No, she's dry. She's oh, still right. dry. Um, um, she's not a dripping pussy yet. The, the way one of the ways that I started writing actually was uh, I was I wanted us to do comedy sketches at school, and so I had to write out the comedy sketches because I only had one book. Hmm. And you you learn you slowly learn oh this is how that works and this is because you're seeing it in a different format and you're transcribing it into a different format. See, I I started off with um a, 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 a sorry a school assignment an English assignment we had a, a sub teacher in, and he said uh, he gave us this thing on what was it it's long forgotten memories mm -hmm. um and. Everybody else wrote, he said, right, you're gonna, you, you need to write a short story on it. Everybody else wrote an A4 page, I wrote a novella. <laughs> I wrote a murder mystery novella. <laughs> it was shit. I found it and I read it back and it was shit. The premise was good, but it was the first thing I ever wrote. Uh, yeah, and... those first things. that, And I think I can remember the first thing that I did. And I got marked down terribly for it because the teacher had said, he's not bad at writing, but if he just get off this Doctor Who stuff, he'd be fine. <laughs> I got... <laughs> I got told that I just needed a little bit of experience in life and in, and, and in human interaction. I was like, well, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he just, he gave me some really, really good advice. He said, observe people, you know, start your writer's notebook, mm. try and get as much as experience and, and write about what you know. And I, I used to read a lot of Stephen King, point horror, point, uh, point crime. And, um, uh, what's uh, uh, Agatha Christie 
So when I first started writing, I took my favorite authors, which were Stephen King mm. and Agatha Christie, and I genre mashed. And I went, right, you know, these two work. What works out of this one? What works out of that one? And I played around with it. And I think, again, Pink is pretty good for for this. Cause she, I mean, she's my favorite artist. And there's a lot of artists who've done this. Well, when they first come out, they produce the same stuff that everybody else produces in order to build that reputation, in order to be able yeah. to get people to know their name. And mm. then they start going off into do, doing their own thing. Once they've got their audience, they know their audience. Um, you know, and I, I started... And, and what we're really talking about is building... In business, you call, call it a tribe, build your tribe. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, there are various different books, things like Tribes of Influence out there that kind of try to explain it for you. But essentially, it's, it's saying, look, you, you need an audience. Go and build your audience. And if you build it right, then they will be what they'll become what they call rabid fans. So yeah. they will not only they will they buy everything that you put out, but they will also be the spokespeople for your brand. Yes. They'll also go out and say, hey, you need to, to watch this or, you know, buy this thing over here. Uh, so they're very... Um, they're a very good thing to have. And there's a, a lot of business research and things that shows that brands that can build up that, that rabid fan base, especially early on, they have a much, much higher potential to do anything uh, than, and I mean anything, uh, than any other, other brand. And if you think about it, this is the way that YouTube influencers have already worked. So someone like Logan Paul, you don't have to like him, but he's built up an audience of people. And because of that audience of people, he's now able to go to a film company and go, I've got this audience of people already. Do you want to make a film with me? Which mm. he's done. Film shit, but never mind. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't remember what I was going to say because I've just got, I've got a cat who's currently upside down. <laughs> Oh, and dear. making shapes on my lap and she's being very cute um <laughs> it's very distracting and it's adorable she's huggling my boob um what was i gonna say um yeah i mean it's it's like a cult following isn't it it's, it's like uh we spoke about firefly and, and serenity and, and, it, and it is a cult following that, that they, those those have i mean I know people who will buy multiple books of it uh terry yeah. patchett's got this massive cult following um, um, she's looking Pratchett. up at me. With, she's looking. Oh no, darling! The Pratchett stuff is odd. I have. I don't know how you can have somebody who has that much of a mainstream audience and still call it a cult following. And yet, it, it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really weird. But but it, yeah, the, his fan base is huge, huge. and is it spans all sorts of sectors of the community and all sorts of, of uh, uh, people from all walks of life. Um, and it, and every, they're all incredible as well. You know, if you went to a Discworld convention, I remember going to um, Tewkesbury, uh, where we, uh, where Terry Pratchett was talking um, of an evening. And this was, back, I was still at school. I must've been about 12 or 13 years old. Um, and it felt like you were going to see a rock band. Mm. You know, it felt like that uh, that illicit thing that you couldn't tell your parents about, 
but they'd still paid for a ticket for it because you were going to see an author, you know. Um, and, and the the groups of people that were there, they're just it's it's incredible the the reach that, that he had. And, oh um, well, there, he was. There's an interview somewhere where he was talking about uh, him and Neil Gaiman were talking about Good Omens, mm. um, and he said that quite often people will have multiple copies of it. I have more than one copy of that book. I had one that I used to lend out. I don't have it anymore because I lent it out and I don't know where it's gone. Right. Hence why I have one that I lend out and one that is mine. Mm. Um, the one that I've got is dogged, chewed, destructive. I will. I love that book. And then I've got a hard copy which I will not touch because it is the. It, it is that, my. That's the shelf copy, right? Yeah, that's my collector's yeah. copy. But he said that he's got <laughs> people who've got copies of his book of this book that they when they go for getting it signed it literally is is they've read it that many times it's in pieces in a bag mm. Mm. and is they're carrying it and going i love your book but i don't want to replace it this is my book you know and they've, they've yeah. got another copy that they they had to buy multiple copies because they just keep destroying them because they're reading them so many it's one of those but i've got it on audio i've got it on 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 written i've read and listened to and i'll watch the tv series and i can't wait for number two because neil came is writing that based off the notes and, they both and- wrote and John Finnamore as well. And John's Ooh. brilliant. He's a fantastic writer. And so, yeah, that's going to be very interesting. It's the fact that it's based off the original notes that he and Terry wrote yeah. Yeah. for their second series. Um, and I mean, if Neil Gaiman wasn't involved with writing the, the second series, I'd probably go, meh. But because he's one Did, of the original you know what? authors... If- if, I trust him to pick a good other co-author for the if for the Neil Gaiman series. went, we're going to do a season three and there's no notes by Terry, but I'm going to try and do this as close to what he would have wanted as possible. I'd still bloody watch it because it's I'd Neil still Gaiman. Watch it. Yeah. yeah, it's Neil yeah. Gaiman. I love Neil Gaiman. We know that he's a good writer. Um, and him and Terry Pratchett were very, very close. So they had... So one know, of the best writers as well. I mean, oh, yeah. That's the... That's the um, bar that I think you have to set. These oh, things. just yeah, he is he is an incredible writer. Um, but and again, he knows his audience, doesn't he? I mean, yeah, he's he's got a, again yet an, another author that's got a cult following. Um, but and I, I with I know as much with Terry Pratchett that he started off with writing short stories. Um, if you there's one of them. I think it's the dark side of the sun or something like that. Is, is it that one? It's pre-Discworld. Uh, it's either that or... Okay, I can't remember the title it's of the, the other one. It's the one about probability. Yes, I think that might be Dark Side of the Sun. Um, See, because there's so many Discworld books, it takes me a long time to get around to reading the stuff that isn't Discworld. I need to do the Trappist yeah. books again because I haven't read those for ages. Uh, yeah, I think it's the dark side of the sun because I haven't seen the other one. Strata is the other one, isn't it? Strata. I haven't read the other. I can't remember which one it is. Uh, I'm kind of going, mm, which one is it? Well, it's the one that's about probability, and it's all about it, the whole book premise is probability. I absolutely loved it. Um, but essentially, Pratchett, what he did was he he essentially took things that every single person can relate to in some way and put it in his books. Mm. And I think that anybody reading his books can relate to something in them. Um, you know, Colour of Magic... Well, yes, because he, he spoke about the human condition. It wasn't really about anything individual. It was about, look, we are human and this is how humans yeah. work. Um, um, I'm looking for the... So I get the titles right. But Colour of Magic and the Light Fantastic were about tourists. It was about tourism. That was the 
kind of. I think I think but there was more to books, it than that. But well, no, I think both those books were really more of a kind of a a, um, a counterpoint to Tolkien. Mm. In fact, that's what he's talked about with it as well. Whereas, yeah, there's bits about tourists in there, but I think that that uh, Last Continent is more touristy yeah. because you get Rincewind who you know in a in a place that he doesn't know and that's yeah uh, you know i when i read them because i i'd never read tolkien at this point i i kind of got the impression it was very much about this tourist who's going around and and, and, and um exploring and that's something so regardless of of, of the, the 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 sort of the you know the the relation to the to, to, to tolkien books there is that underlying thing of this guy has come to a foreign land. We've all been there. <laughs> well, not all of us, but most of us. Equal rights is about, when you boil it down, it's about equality. Equal rights literally is about literally equal rights. The, 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 it, says what, it does what it says on the tin. <laughs> then you've got more, which is about being fed up with your job. I mean, it, but in these are very, very like more it literally is death gets fed up with his job and goes off and mm -hmm. does one and tries other careers um but it's, it's just these fantastical characters with very very normal lives yeah um and again you've got the guards books you've got all of these things where um oh, you've got things like hogfather which is about yeah. you know ostensibly a christmas story but it's about accepting your place in the world no matter what that ends up being and then you've got small and, gods. And which the, is, yes, you can change it, but it's not going to make a big difference in the grand scheme of things. Absolutely. And then you've got things like small gods, which is about the premise that, uh, and again, Neil Gaiman uses this premise. Um, the gods will exist if you believe in them. And when you don't believe in them anymore, they go away. Yeah. And it's, it's a very, it's, so it's, it's very based around sort of religion. It's not saying you're wrong to be religious but it's not saying you're right to be religious no it's and, not and saying... a lot of a lot of small gods is, is is you know commenting on religious fundamentalism and how yeah that strays away from actually what the god might have wanted in the first place mm. and this is it i mean you've got you've got film is it i, I i've read them all and they, 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 once i start reading them i'm like oh yeah i know what this one's about Oh, Witches Abroad, that's another one that's, that's, that's again, a lot of that xenophobia. Witches Abroad is one of my favourite Discworld books, yeah. in part because of the way that, uh, just for one word in the book, and that's, that's Nanny Og saying, banana, nana, nana, nana. I don't know why, <laughs> I don't know why, that just gets me every time. I um, like it because it, 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 it looks, you've got these three sort of uh, old, old women, <laughs> Well, witches. You've got Granny Weatherwax who hates these foreign. Which one is it? They hates these bloody foreigners. Um, and it, it's it's, but it also it's it's about their journey with it as well. They hate the bloody foreigners, but when they go out to foreign lands, which is full of foreigners, as they they quite rightly point out, you know, um, they, they realise they're, they're the foreigner. They, yeah. yeah, and that they're just normal yeah. people. So it's but, about but also, I mean, uh, which is abroad? Yeah, also which is abroad is about the. Uh, the, the power it. of story and how perhaps sometimes we uh, fetishize it in a way that we probably shouldn't because mm. real life is different and, and it's not necessarily bound by those same constraints. And sometimes when you try and bind it by those same constraints, it makes it worse. Yeah. Um, but again, the, like the more you sort of 
read into his stuff. You've, you've got this very sort of basic concept. So it might be, you know, there's usually satire and there's usually looking at the world and going, this is as it is. This is how it is. And doing a really incredible job of putting it in a, in a thing that just highlights things without attacking, without making you feel like you're being attacked or making humanity feel like it's being attacked, but it, it just observes humanity and, mm. and creates things that everyone can relate to in a world that's incredibly fantastical. We have gone somewhat off topic. Yeah, well, really no, there, there was a point to it Terry in terms Pratchett. of knowing his audience. <laughs> yes. So he's used that because he knows that every topic, I mean, the one, the way he's written his books is that you can, if you read them all, you get more, but you can read them individually and get a self-contained story. Yeah. Um, so he knows that audience and he knows that he's going to have a wide audience. So he chooses topics that I think the vast majority of people can relate to sure. in some way, sure. whether that be but politics or, or, in, or interesting religion on the, or the, whatever. The Terry Pratchett thing is, is um, also once you've built this audience, it's kind of important to keep them and mm. and to to understand what their expectations are from anything that you're going to produce and to reach those expectations it, having an audience is like having a customer you've got to delight that that customer so that mm. the next time you release something they'll come back to it yes. and uh, if you look at what they did with the recent series the watch they I haven't totally totally failed to do that yeah, and I, even I before that and it started it. <laughs> yeah even before it started they just they lost the faith of that fan base that massive massive fan base and so it's, even though it's been on the bbc it's been on uh a, a, i think a major channel in the us it just flopped completely yeah. which is a shame because it could have been good now i have seen it and it's not a bad series if if you took all of the terry pratchett stuff out of it as in you disconnect it from terry pratchett and you say this isn't a terry pratchett thing i'm watching there's a lot of good in it but mm. you can't disconnect it from the fact that it's terry pratchett yeah because, especially if you know anything about it and and so this is one of the problems so if you've got a rabid fan base and you built your audience up using this rabid fan base idea uh, then they will go to bat with you for, for as much as, as as they can. But if you lose that audience somewhere along the way, then you're you know the, the, in business there is a, a saying that for every one uh, customer that you lose, it takes I think it's about seven times as the work to mm. get another customer to come back in. Yeah. In something like entertainment, it's more like. 10 times as much because mm. you've got to build another audience from the ground up that just doesn't exist. You know, there, there is ostensibly no audience for the watch. Nobody was asking for it. Nobody was going, we need a series where, however, there was an audience for an adaptation or even a, a continuation of a Terry Pratchett thing that the fans could get behind and they yeah. would have pulled in other people into the audience. So for every, for every fan of something that you have in a family, then you've got their spouse, their kids, who they will gather around and watch this thing with. Even now, in the the days in, in streaming times, we are in streaming mm. times now. Streaming uh, times. <laughs> yes. So even now, that happens. That you know, you will get somebody who goes. Well, at this point of the day, I want to sit down with my family and watch something. Mm. 
I, I do with, with my mum. Every evening we watch Escape to the Country. And last thing at night. Just, we watch just, I don't know why. It's not something that I would have necessarily watched if I was on my own. But it's a thing that we do as a family. Yeah. And still do it. So uh, it, it's it's that family time that's really important. I think it's really important for for everybody. And yes. the people who like things like The Watch will pull other people into it. Whereas, and that's how you build a greater audience from it and hopefully increase those that rabid fan base. You can't do that if you alienate your audience to begin with. Yeah. I think that, that that's it, isn't it? It's it's. I think that's the mistake they made with with the watch is is when it comes to. We touched on it briefly, like with Terry Pratchett, and Neil Dame, Neil Gaiman. There is a certain level of expectation that you want. You need to make sure, for example, particular characters in the in the watch. Carrot has to be gigantic, and ginger. Yes. <laughs> like nothing Sybil, else matters you don't the, get that one right of the, one of the biggest complaints Sybil needs to be a middle aged fat woman Yeah, she was because that's pretty. who she is she was beautiful, the woman that cast her she was beautiful and skinny and yeah yeah, it wasn't the character that you read on the page so. um, but even then, I mean, it was for me. It was it was when I sort of watched. It, I saw the guy who played Sam Vimes, and I was like, okay, I can just get that. Um, I think that's it. It's it's like it's a little bit uncanny valley. You mm. could just about get the idea of that character from it, but it's just disconnected enough that it and doesn't I, quite feel right. And, and actually, that's what the whole series feels like. It's just mm. a little bit too disconnected from. I think it needs like um, with things when they did the hog when they made the Hogfather into into a mini series and things like that. They've got actors in there who are massive fans. You've got producers and directors who are massive Terry Pratchett fans. So when they did the show, and, and those were good. Yeah, they were amazing. They were um, again, they didn't necessarily cast in the way that with people that I imagined the book to look like, but the way they portrayed those characters as actors just got it. I mean, to be fair, what's his name? Um, I know who he is. He plays David Jason Foss. is Rinsman. David Jason, yeah. He can play a, any character and I'm actor, good with that. Like, I mean, I, I'm good with he, David Jason playing anything. <laughs> you know why he, I, I didn't think of him as Rinswind at all? I really struggled with that because of yeah, the computer game, the 1980s computer game. So in my head, for, for donkeys of years, the voice of Rinswind has been Eric Idle. <laughs> See, I I pictured him more as what's his the uh, Rince Wins assistant. Um, I cannot it's I can never remember. His... No, the other one is it Two Flower? Mm. No, well, uh, Sean Austin, Albert. Aston, Albert, who played um, Two Flower. I thought was very good actually. No, no, no I wasn't. That, I wasn't talking about Two Flower. I was talking about Albert. Oh, as Death's assistant. Yeah, because because yeah, he was in Hogfather. Yeah, he was good and at that, that. He was very oh, good at that. Yes, he was. He was. Um, he was the perfect casting for that. Mm. Um, he didn't... Rincewind... I don't... I mean, his acting can play anything, but 
like you said, I, I don't think he fit Winchwind as an actor. I think, I don't know, you need somebody more bumbly as Winchwind. <laughs> I told well, well, lanky and ginger. It needs to be Murray, doesn't it? Lanky and ginger. It does, I think, yeah, is, it needs uh, to be Murray. Is what gets in. in. But, and again, that's that's from the, that's from the um, computer game because I don't think that uh, Rincewind outside the computer game was had red hair. Mm. So yeah, that was all. Well, okay, again, I'm not overly concerned about it. It just needs to be someone who's lang- lanky and the, appears to be uncoordinated and and and. Looks, yeah, unfed, uncoordinated. Looks, yeah. looks a bit like a a student in his thirties. Yeah, pretty much. So Murray, Murray is a friend of ours that we went to college with, and if yes. he's listening, <laughs> hi. <laughs> <laughs> he won't. He'd be too busy to listen to this. Oh, he will be too busy to listen to this. <laughs> um, but I yes. I've told anybody about this either. This, I've, one of the things I'm very bad at because I schedule everything out. I forget to then post it to Facebook or social media or something like that when an episode gets released. Mm. I just I, I I just hate listening to my own voice. Um, <laughs> but uh, odd enough, considering I talk all the fucking time and don't shut up. Um, but, but but that's I mean well okay so there we've got an uh, an example of of hmm. an audience that didn't connect with the material pre built audience that didn't connect with the material. Yeah. So let me just go for the ladies and gentlemen at home. Pre-built audiences are audiences where you've already got an IP. You've already got something uh, that people connect with. So if you make a Superman film, you've got a pre-built audience who already likes Superman. He's going to go and, and watch that Superman film. Um, the pre-built audience for Discworld didn't like what they were seeing from the watch. And so the watch didn't work. Yeah. Um, another pre-built audience that you have, although it's a, it's a bit more of a sprawling one, and there's there's niches within and out of that audience, is people who like supernatural uh, stuff about heaven and hell and all of that kind of thing. It is, in fact, the supernatural audience, and the supernatural audience was used to great effect when they did the series Lucifer, who were the that was the main audience that the the, the, um, the they called it a lookalike audience if you're doing targeted act but that was the lookalike audience for, for lucifer was the people who were already watching uh, supernatural and from that they built a series that even when it was cancelled twice mm-hmm. the power of that audience brought it back once back onto netflix uh, onto amazon prime or whoever was making it in the in the states and then once it was enough for netflix to buy it and make subsequent series of it so uh, having that eight. that audience and getting it right can be incredibly mm. powerful. Sense Eight is one of those because it was an incredibly expensive series to watch, but it was it was it was just amazing. Um, if you haven't watched Sense Eight, please do. Um, I think one of the problems with Sense Eight in terms of production was the, the cost of it. Mm, that because it. it was and they kind of ridiculously expensive to produce, and I think if it wasn't quite that much, it probably would have gone. They would have kept going for, yeah. for a long time. Yeah. But they ended up cancelling it halfway through the storyline, mm. and. Pretty much the entire Sensei audience just went, 
fuck you, Netflix, <laughs> and then just cancelled their subscriptions yeah. to the point where Netflix went, you know what, we will make a final film, we'll commission a final film to finish off all the storylines. And then as soon as they announced that, everyone signed back up again. And that is, I think, quite, that was the first time I sort of went, this is the power of an audience. When you get an audience who absolutely love your work mm. and the power of streaming sites like like netflix you know you you've got more it's all more audience led because you can just sub- unsubscribe and, and they yeah. lose all your money and and then you know look at the way that we're talking about terry pratchett both of us being fans of this just a little bit we, we we will go out and buy ridiculous stuff because it has a terry pratchett logo on it if we mm-hmm. think that it was in, endorsed you know um or a little b logo for the people in the know um it happens because because we we've had that connection with the author and with the work and and, and everything um yeah. but yeah so so building that audience is incredibly incredibly important and oh, yeah. what's interesting is that actually you can find an audience amongst a niche so yes. say that you want to write sci-fi that's great okay you want to write sci-fi well what else is out there you might gravitate towards uh, a, a, a genre called lit rpg lit rpg is the idea that uh in the future at some point they have created totally immersive computer games that you play and the stories in those are all about the game that you are playing so in many lit RPG games, most of them are fantasy based, obviously, because that's what people think about, about you know, like role playing games. Um, but in many lit RPG things, something happens in the world and people get stuck in the computer game. Mm. And so they have to then live their life as if they're a character in a computer game. That has become a whole genre. It started in Russia, of all places. Um, that's become a whole genre of, of, of literature now. Um, and yet... I mean, wasn't There's that not... started with Tron? <laughs> well, I suppose yes, you could say, but the, the, the new new wave of it, the the new wave of it has has been uh, there have been lots of Russian authors who were, were writing about it, and then it's it's crept ac- across to the West as translations were made of those things and and mm. put out, and it's a really interesting genre. It's a really yeah. interesting genre where I think you know it's not been as explored as it probably could be. Um, and, and yet, you know, it's it's a, a growing genre. But if you if you then go, okay, well, I want to write this sort of book. What sort of book do you want to to write in that thing? Do you want to do something in a fantasy setting? Mm. Do you want to do something that isn't in a fantasy setting? Maybe you choose a a, a more advanced sci fi setting for something. Uh, maybe you choose a completely different sort of game. What happens if you got stuck in a racing simulator? And what happens if you got stuck in The Sims? Yeah, or something like that. Each you know, time you do head something, syndrome or something. <laughs> I have seen I remember. somebody do something where the the essential story is what happens if you got stuck in Minecraft. Ooh. Now there are audiences for all of those different types of game, and there'll be crossover audiences between them mm. as well. But there are audiences for every single, uh, different type of game. And what we've done there is in business, you would call it niching down, where you take a big thing that you've got like we want to do sci-fi and they go okay well, what sort of sci-fi can we want to do lit rpg what sort of lit rpg we're going to do a thing about somebody getting stuck in minecraft that's and when you find those small they call micro niches 
you will build rabid audiences so much quicker. This is, I mean, this is why I like genre mashing so much. Um, like, so, you know, with, with what I'm writing, it, it's it's Lovecraftian inspired. So it's all about old gods and, and, and cults and, um, you know, you know, inter in well, not interdimensional because that's the wrong word. Um, inter reading, uh, no multiverse kind of thing. <laughs> um, um, so you know, uh, alternate reality monsters come being called into existence and mm. getting stuck in the 18th hole on the golf course. Um, and but then also the murder mystery thing. So it's like. I wanted to write something sci-fi and I wanted to write something that was eldritch horror and I wanted to write something that was murder mystery. And I was like, well, just smash it together and see what happens. Yeah. So then as, long you... as, you, as long as you create an environment where all of those things can happen, mm. then it does. it's not jarring when they do happen. Mm. It, you know, you've chosen the, the rules of your, um, of your universe. And so I think that that's what it comes can, down to, isn't it? Happen. Yeah. Having the having when you're writing and you're thinking, I want to find my audience and I want to write for my audience. Once you've sort of got a picture of, of, of the type of people that are going to be reading, watching your things and you found the niche, it is about creating that universe. Yeah. Um, that works and that the, 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 you've got a stable law of, you know, group of physics, like, so stable laws of physics within that universe. So, um, for example, in superhero movies, the current laws of physics do not allow people to fucking fly but in that irritates me with superheroes when i when because when, it's the, it, the yes, pedant, in a it? superhero movie the, the it's a different uh, yes. of physics it's a different yeah, set of laws of physics it's a and different it's, it's set a, of things it's the suspension of disbelief that we're talking yeah. about isn't it but how, do you, universe, how do you not jar people out of that how do you not bring them out of that that kind of in, in that uh, universe though that the i think the way they do it is it's consistent laws of physics it's consistent across the board it's not oh well in this circumstance or in this it, it's a consistent laws of physics they had a clear idea of what those those laws of physics would be the laws of if biology you're, if you're you writing know, fantasy and if you've read anything about writing fantasy you will have heard uh the um the, the idea of having a magical system and that's exactly what tash is talking about right now is that yeah. having a magic system basically just describes the laws of which you're you're living under so that magic can't do absolutely everything and solve absolutely every problem and you still have drama yeah um, yeah. um and that's it i mean but you've got to have that solid sort of foundation you've got to know your universe you've got to know your characters you've got to create realistic characters that you know your audience are going to empathize with and i think this is one of the things with the the sort of um, the sandman we were talking about last week is the character death she's empathetic she is very empathic towards the people that she's helping cross over and well i, I think neil gamer said when he in an interview he created the sort of death that he would want to meet mm. and, and i think i sorry carry on no that's it go on that's that's um, it i know a lot of sort of uh, pagan friends who say to you know say things like you know Oh, death gets a bad rap, and all death is doing is helping you cross the bridge. Mm. Um, that's all. That's all death is there for is to is to show you the way, and so that you don't die alone. Is to welcome you into the afterlife. That's actually quite a nice person, um, but or a nice nice anthropomorphic being, um, and 
when and, and it, I like the way that that Neil Gaiman looked at that and sort of went, yeah, that's what I would want. That's what I would want if I die. Is is a is an empathic person, help, holding my hand as I cross over into the afterworld and, and as I go through that, and explaining things to me that actually no, you're not you're not alive anymore. Um, and I like that representation of death because all too often death, and, and again, Terry Pratchett's representation of death. So this is something we all can empathize with. Every human being, every living life form on this un, uh, planet mm. can understand and we all connect with death. I think that's probably why it's one of the favorite characters in Terry Pratchett. Um, both deaths have an actual personality. Um, the death in, in, in Terry Pratchett is funny um, and also curious and has empathy and this one is yeah. you know in the, in the neil gaiman was very very empathic so having iconic characters or having something that we all deal with something that's scary maybe even with 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 death something we'll slightly have that little fear in the back of our heads uh good place says it we all we all humans live with that slight dread of death that's that's what makes us human um and take that away and you, you ruin the human experience yeah, with, yeah. with with that and i think being able to look at that it's something that a lot of people can identify with and creating these characters that are sympathetic is is that really big hook you need people to care about your characters you need yeah. to make people care there's been too many films that i've watched or too many shows that i've watched or read books where well, the story is amazing, but I just don't give a shit what happens to the yeah. characters. Yeah. Um, for me, it's like, and, and I'm probably going to get sorted for this. Hunger Games is one of those. I loved the TV series. I loved the films because I kind of gave a shit about Katniss in them, but the books. It's, it's God, weird. God I, she whines. She does. I didn't like the films as much, but then I read the books first, and I think you bring what you had in the books to the to. To when you watch it, I think they did a very good job uh, oh, the of translating I mean, the... to the screen. But um, yeah. I don't know. There was just something that I didn't quite click for me. Uh, think... Even though, actually, I, you know, I, I would, I, I adored the books when they when they first See, came out. That was the thing with it. I mean, the, the, because the stories, the book, the story in the book is so much better. But mm. the character Katniss is the problem because it, yeah, sure. in the book. It's her inner voice. It's her inner world. It's it's you're you're listening to her thoughts, and she is a teenager. So so you're listening to a teenager's inner thoughts. Yes. Yeah, a teenager yeah. whining. This constantly. is one of the reasons why I was saying that I wasn't looking forward to Miss Marvel until I saw it because I always mm. expect that, and it was the same in you know any young adult thing that gets translated on on, on to screen. Teenage you always angst. get that whiny teenage angst thing whether it's vampire diaries or, or um uh i'm trying to think of another one now uh pretty little liars or something like that that it always plays on that whole teenage teen angst thing um yeah. and yet when you don't and when you just create a a, a better rounded character i think it speaks to people of multiple ages instead of yeah. instead of just the teenage audience and yeah it does it does hit the teenage audience as well and I think that's that's what it boils down to, really, is when you have a leading character or you have a main character, if people do not give a crap about your characters, if they do not want them to lose or they do not care enough for them, like there's there's bad guys where I've gone, I really don't give a shit whether you win or lose. <laughs> I, 
you know, there's bad guys that like um, uh, Megamind, right? I wanted the bad guy to win <laughs> Megamind because I liked the bad guy. He was a likable guy. But then, again, cinema therapy, I've talked about this. They, they talk about the difference between a good person and a nice person. And, there's, yeah. you know, you've got the nice person who's actually really quite an unpleasant human being. But he's nice yeah. to people. And then you've got the so-called bad guy who's actually underneath it all a really good person. And it's like saying we have to separate these two things. But I had and a lot I, of... That's, that's very difficult when you're writing something like an anti-hero like you've got in Mega Man or, mm. or in, um, uh, in Despicable Me, although I think they do it better in Despicable Me. I think, yeah, they did a brilliant job with it. But that's the thing. These, ca- these things have likable characters or characters that you really give a crap about whether you yeah. care like even if it's a really like you is an incredible um series on netflix and the main character is the baddie and he is a very baddie baddie and mm. i won't tell you what happens because he is not a nice man but it, it it's taking a look at the, the rom-com style and going well actually they're all really unhealthy stalkers um and, and then you had, uh, dexter as well anti-hero dexter, yeah similar sort of thing all the, you, you follow the back, but I mean, in Dexter, you kind of like Dexter because he's doing the wrong thing for the right reason. In you, he's just a yes. See you next just... Tuesday. He's <laughs> just a horrible man who does bad things. But I care about what I care about is him getting caught. I want to watch him get caught. I want to watch him get done over. What I want to get watch him fuck with the wrong person. That's yeah. what I why I watch it. But I care about the character, not because I like the character, not because I want the character to win, but because I want him to lose. Because I hate him that much. Sure. I've got a really visceral response to him. But I hate him in a way that I want to watch him. And that's the thing you have to create when you're creating characters. I think this is what makes the difference between popular things. Firefly is is the same. You've got a bunch of characters that you really want something, you know, you, you, you could, you give a shit about and, and I, I, you, you actually, get emotional I think this response is a good, from them. This is a good place to, to leave it. You've got to create those characters and you know what? Know who your audience is, because as soon yeah. as you know as much as you can about that audience, you will change your writing. You won't do it on a conscious level; you do it on a subconscious level, and your mm-hmm. writing will be more targeted to, towards them. So, if you do those two things, you're going to get something which will build an audience. As soon as yeah. you find that audience, you start to get those rabid fans that we've been talking about. Yeah. I think that this episode has been m- much more than ten percent helpful. So, I think we probably better leave it there. Uh, yeah, we don't want do to get come... too, too big for our boots, do we? <laughs> don't want to be getting to thirty percent. I think this was about twenty percent no. helpful. You don't I want think to get to thirty percent. We'll be outdoing ourselves. <laughs> Do come and join us over at murderingapodcast.com where you can find show notes and, of course, the link to our Patreon, which is going to help us create more arty stuff, which is a good thing. So do do that. And pay Uh, actors, which we want to really, really want to do. We want to pay We really do want to do that at the moment as well. Um, Until next time, thanks ever so much for coming along. Uh, We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. That was Murdering a Podcast, and if you'd like to find out more information about the podcast, the Mystery Lounge, or anything mentioned in the show, please head over to murderingapodcast.com. The music was The Secret of Tiki Island by Kevin MacLeod, and the producer was Steve Meller. Until next time, thanks for listening.